Good evening, listeners, and welcome again to Dub Talk News. We have some brief updates for you about the state of the world and the apparent giant monster invasion that is happening. Uh, but first, we have a brief stop in with our good friend Steve on the Weather Chopper. Steve, I hear you have some traffic updates for us. Thank you, Dave. Uh, it is a lovely evening out here. Uh, we do have a few traffic updates for people on the ride home. Uh, do note that the Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Listeners should please be aware that there will be spoilers for Godzilla Singular Point, so they may want to watch the series first before listening to the episode. Finally, the opinions expressed belong to those of the individual participants and do not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Also, there's a bad snarl on uh, I-93, so uh, watch... Dave, there's, there appears to be a giant bird near the weather chopper. It's, uh... Oh, shit. It's one of those things that have been on the news. Oh, uh, oh, it's spotted us. Fuck. Ah! Oh. Oh, dear. Uh, we will, uh, try and give you an update on the condition of Steve and the weather chopper once we can reestablish a connection with them. I, I hope they're okay. In the meantime, uh, next up on the schedule is the new episode of Dub Talk, so uh, please enjoy that, and we'll get back to you with a further update when we are able to. Enjoy the show. Hello, Kaiju fans, and welcome to a brand new episode of Dub Talk, show where a bunch of nerds get together and talk about the latest and greatest in English dubs and voiceovers. Uh, today, I am your host, Roots of Justice. Um, joining me is Amon. The fun thing about this episode, listeners, is as you'll probably soon learn, this one's really going to put the nerd part in that uh, little catchphrase we do at the beginning of every episode. Oh boy, howdy is it. Mm-hmm. Because um, today we're going to be talking about Godzilla Singular Point. A show so deep in its understanding of mathematical physics and kaiju references. Like, holy shit, this show is a deep dive. It even references Godzuki. It references Hanna-Barbera's fucking cartoon. (laughs) You gotta love it. Should, should. Well, also, mm-hmm. well, also getting in there with the timey wimey physics shenanigans. <laughs> should should we ignore the the silly American made cartoon? We're, oh, we're, absolutely we're... not. <laughs> no, I meant I meant the one Godzuki's from. Oh yeah, and the response is like, "We're Godzilla. We're already silly. What's the point?" <laughs> there we go. There's a there's a there's a there's a robot Kong running around here somewhere. Let's not let's not act like we're too we're too serious for that. We aren't. <laughs> I mean, Godzilla vs. Megalon exists. It was made. It's got Godzilla hopping around in a jig. It knows what it's doing. You mean doing the uh doing the uh doing the fucking um uh, Otsumachu-kun dance? The pose? Yes. 
it was very weird later on in life to learn what that was. It's like, oh, he's just not just oh, he's not just he's not just hopping weirdly. That's a that's a reference, huh? I didn't know that was an Osomatsu-kun reference. No, he's, he's doing he's doing the pose that What's-His-Name-With-The-Teeth does whenever he's shocked. That's yeah, what he's doing. Yeah, I didn't know that. Holy, holy shit. You can, you can throw, you can throw, you can throw, you can find it in uh, little image searches of, like, people doing that pose you don't expect. My favorite is John Lennon, because that's just weird. I mean, it's also John Lennon. <laughs> it's more a question is, did he know what it was, or did someone just say, like, hey, John, do this, it'll be funny. I feel like the answer is a resounding yes. Yeah, that's true. Um, anyway. Coming back around to the series we're covering. Mm-hmm. Um, an interesting fact before we really kind of dive into this is... Um, it was written by a man named Toenjo. Now, this podcast has dealt with works of Toenjo before. Um... A certain Summer at the Movies episode in our inaugural run. Um, this man also wrote Empire of Corpses. Which explains literally everything about why this show is up its own ass about physics. When you when you, when you both have a PhD in something, but also like to watch a man fist fight a Frankenstein. Ugh. I still need to get to that movie. It looks so much fun. It's a hoot and a holler, man. You will you will love it so much. Um, but in any case, a synopsis provided to us by uh, the review on ANN, because literally every other synopsis is like a sentence. And that that's not going to help you here. Mm-mm. Um, in the year 2030, a small crew of local engineers in the Japanese city of... Uh, Nigashio, along with an independent team of scientific researchers, discover a mysterious musical broadcast that seems to have heralded the arrival of an equally mysterious red dust in the world. Emanating from so-called singular points, areas of the world wherein the laws of physics are bent and broken, this red dust isn't, isn't the only otherworldly visitor to find its way to our world. Soon, terrifying monsters start wreaking havoc all over the planet. Flocks of pterodon... Tyrannodon-esque Rodan terrorized Tokyo. Swarms of aquatic dragons known as Manda invade Britain. And it isn't long before Godzilla himself appears. A monster so terrifying that it could only mean that the end of the world is nigh. The engineers, led by the brilliant Yun Arikawa, use a robot called Jet Jaguar to do battle with the beasts and protect the terrified citizens that are unlucky enough to get in the kaiju's way. Meanwhile, an eccentric graduate student named Mei Kamino travels the world and finds herself working with top scientists, government officials, and even a bonafide artificial intelligence, all in the hopes that they can re- uncover the mystery of the singular points and prevent the catastrophe that could spell the death of not just Earth, but the universe itself. Yeah. Stakes. Uh what do you say about this show? Um, it is very dense. Oh yeah. This is this is the this is the like 
post-2001 pre-Star Wars 70s sci-fi movie version of Godzilla that the actual 70s uh, Godzilla movies weren't. Right. Like, this is... This definitely feels like Godzilla in the vein of, like, science fiction movies between 2001 A Space Odyssey and just before Star Wars when the sci-fi just kind of became a catch-all for, like, fantasy in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, in any case... Um, the dub for this show is provided by our friends at SDI Media. And we will begin talking about it with the crew of the dub. Um, our director is one Megan Buckles. Um, and the writer of the series is, from my understanding, her father, Bob Buckles. That's my understanding as well. Um, they have both worked on a vast amount of Netflix projects. Um, and honestly, I think I'm going, think I'm going to do what we basically did with the, um, Jujutsu Kaisen episode and just basically, like, open it up to conversation. Mm-hmm. How do I put this? This is, we'll get more into this, but this show is real dense. There's, I'm not sure I call some of the dialogue techno babble per se, because I always feel like techno babble kind of implies that it's bullshit, and I kind of feel like a lot of this is probably rooted in like actual math and science, but it's still real fucking complicated. Oh yeah, and I like testament to the crew and the actors. I by large was not bored while they were talking about any of this. I it actually made it pretty interesting. And no one sounded like they were tripping over themselves trying to talk about some weird, heady concept about time and physics or what have you. So, uh, up front, that feels like the part of the show that you could uh, botch the hardest while dubbing it. Or even just, you know, doing the original voice track for that matter. And I think they did a good job of not doing that. This this sounds about as natural as I think uh, high-level mathematics can. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly more interesting than when my old boss would talk about it. <laughs> um, and, yeah, like, and on top of that, I thought this was, like, I, 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 I obviously, I've not seen everything the Buckholtzes have produced a dub for, if for, no, like, I ain't got, I ain't got the time for that. They've done a lot of work in the last few years. Uh, but, like, I have yet to encounter one that I thought was, like, worse than solid like this i i enjoyed this dub a lot i thought this was a lot of fun uh i think it does the techno babble well and i thought it did a good job balancing the relatively serious aspects of the story but also like it's still a godzilla show it's not it's not gonna get that serious and dour yeah i mean it's gonna eventually have fun with itself pretty much uh, if it doesn't, um, what are you doing? It, oh, yeah. Um, and there was also one interesting aspect of this that I want to bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, when the show started streaming on Netflix, um, there were actually some complaints about the subtitle version. Mm-hmm. Um, in that the show 
weaves in several very well-established quotes from, you know, from things ranging from Oppenheimer's famous um, I Am Become Deaths kind of... Mm -hmm. Kind of thing after the uh, the first detonation of the atomic bomb, um, but also things like the inferno, and I believe there was also a quote from the Canterbury Tales. Hmm. Um, but the complaint was that some of these some of these things, which, mind you, inferno is kind of a weird off to the side example because it's obviously written in Italian and translated into English, mm -hmm. so there's not really like a definitive um, English quotation, but mm -hmm. there were some complaints that there was, it was actually kind of, some of those quotes were like a little botched, hmm. um, which the dub very obviously does not do. And that is definitely a plus in my book. Interesting. Um, also, also I've got to say the, um, the casting is actually surprisingly solid. Mm -hmm. Actually, I shouldn't say supply surprisingly because, um, like, the sort of Netflix tier dubs have actually been pretty... The casting was kind of a, a sticking point in, in some of the earlier ones, but it it has definitely turned itself around, especially this year. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of... A lot of Netflix's dubs have actually been particularly strong in the past year or two. Um... Especially during the sort of remote recording era. Mm. Um, but also the um, the direction and performances, like, like you were saying, it's definitely... It would definitely be easy to trip up on sort of the, the theoretical mathematical physics of it all. Because mm -hmm. um, they... Again, the, I probably... I I don't remember if I mentioned it uh, off the uh, off that intro with Toenjo, but he actually has a degree in mathematical physics. Actual smart person. As a, as a little piece of paper on his wallet says so. <laughs> um. So obviously, a lot of care was taken into that aspect for the show itself, and the fact that it didn't feel like the actors were really kind of tripping over themselves trying to reference this stuff is just absolutely amazing. What else do I want to add? Yeah, like, the the, cast, the casting's a lot of fun. Uh, I feel like... I, 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 I don't have a strong sense of what the actual production behind any of these Netflix uh, dubs are, but I did always get the sense that part of the reason the SDI uh, dubs often used similar actors was partially just, like, Hey, so and so's good. We know them. Let us cast them in a thing. Uh, and I think maybe they're yeah. I think they're maybe starting to hit the point where they've done enough for uh Netflix or at the very you know, depending again on who's signing off on these things, because for all I know, some of this could just be like Netflix being heavy heavy handed or not heavy handed, I don't know. Uh, but I feel like they're hitting the point where it's like, okay, we we know who's good, let's expand we can expand the talent pool now and get more people who we know are good and we can rely on to like Hey, you want a nice gig? There's no simuldubbing right. involved. We can do all the episodes in a week. Um, and yeah, like this, some good casting in this, which we'll get to. 
Oh yeah. I'm looking looking at looking at a uh, Mr. Oteki in particular. <laughs> um let's see. Yeah, this is this is this is like a this is like kind of a fun weird show. It's it feels very distinct compared to the some of the other Godzilla stuff I've seen. Uh for its kind of like braininess and its commitment to at least plausible sounding science, which is not something I necessarily associate with Godzilla movies. For right. obvious reasons. I mean when you think about it, the original movie involved a weapon called the Oxygen Destroyer, which was basically a bomb that just destroyed oxygen. Yep. And later turned into a monster. Much later. And later turned into a monster. Uh, and it's like that. And, yeah, it's like realistic science in Godzilla movies feels like Shin Godzilla has some, because of what it is and how recent it is. And... I, I'd say maybe some some stuff in the legendary movies, but they also lean way harder into the like, yeah, Hollow Earth, that's a thing, right? Just go for it. So you know, not not quite the same. Uh, yeah, this is this is a this is like a this is a fun little show, and I I think the Buckholtzes have done a really good job with this dub. Like it feel it feels very well produced. It feels like they knew what they were doing, despite a difficult task. Uh, I'm repeating myself. Do you have anything you'd like to add? Yeah. Um, going on, going off on your, um, on the thing about, oh yeah, this is basically kind of a simul dub. Um, this dub actually, if I recall correctly, debuted either on the day or within several days of the final episode airing in Japan. Oh, nice. So this is probably one of the closer things that has come to a, you know, a proper Netflix quote-unquote simuldub. Mm -hmm. Kind of joining the likes of um, Violet Evergarden and I believe uh, Great Pretender as well. Mm. Um, but, you know, even with those kind of time constraints into consideration, um, yeah, this is actually pretty, pretty solid stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think with that, we'll move on to our first group of characters. Yeah. Um, these are sort of positioned as more antagonistic humans. Um, there really isn't a proper, you know, quote-unquote villain of this show. That's more or less... Godzilla, the Rodan, the actual monsters that show up. Um, but we have four members of the mysterious organization known as Shiva. Um, that, that's, are... that's not an ominous name at all. <laughs> no! Where would you get that idea? Speak, speaking of Robert Oppenheimer. Oh boy. Um, a, this is an organization founded by the mysterious Ashihara, who is a presence throughout the series, but is basically just not around because everybody just assumes him dead. Um, which of course, if you pay attention after the credits of the final episode, you learn that's not actually true. Nope. Psych. 
Um, which, yeah, word of warning, um, we're, we're gonna be spoiling shit. Yeah, sorry, guys. That, um, that, but then again, you sh- Yeah, we, we put that warning in the disclaimer for a reason. Um, so as I was saying, the, these characters kind of seem antagonistic in the beginning, um, but they kind of help the protagonists along in figuring out the secrets of the singular points. Um, and then it turns out that they're actually not all that savory characters. Mm-mm. Thanks to, again, that secret ending. Um, we have the American Michael Steven, who's sort of a military-ish guy. Um, he's part of a company who is aligned with Shiva. Um, you have the scientist Baylor B.B. Barn. Um, who is from India and is affiliated with another company involved with Shiva. Um, we have Tilda Mira, who is kind of the leader of what Shiva is now. Um, or at the very least, she has enough authority to have complete control over a facility they run in India, which is researching the singular points and has, like, a supercomputer that is meant to research it. And then you have Takahiro Kai. <laughs> this guy is a hard book to read. He he shows up to our protagonist as a journalist. But oh yeah, it turns out he's aligned with Shiva. Um, he's trying to steal Godzilla bones. As one does. As one does. Um, and then you don't... That plot thread just kind of disappears for the rest of the show. Until the secret ending, when you learn that he's actually trying to build Mechagodzilla. Again. You'd and think they learn by now. They never learn. If they, if they learned, we'd have to stop making movies, and we can't have that. Yeah, that is true. Um, in any case, um, Michael Steven is played by James Mathis III, uh, Baylor Barn by Sean Chiplock, Tilda Mira by Barbara Goodson, and Takahiro Kai by Griffin Putao. Alright, um, honestly, I really enjoy the fact that Griffin Putao is just so sleazy. <laughs> oh, he, he's a delight. Un- unquestionably one of the standouts in the show. Yes. I think, I think the, like, the first scene that he shows up in, it's like, oh, you're, you're absolutely trouble. You're bad. Not even, is it have to be evil bad, just bad. Like, I think of the characters of the show, his moral compass is probably one of the more skewed. Does he have a moral compass? I don't even know. He, he, feel, he feels very... Like, I know he has more or less a consistent, like, uh, loyalty throughout the show, but he feels very much like the dude who's like, Oh, you'll pay me more than who I'm working for? Ah, cool. <laughs> Great, I'll definitely spy on him for you. No problem. Yes. Just uh, here, here, here's the, here's the drawing number of my Swiss bank account. 
pleasure doing business with you. Oh yeah, and here's all the dirt I <laughs> yeah exactly. Oh, here I already the... had on the other guy. <laughs> I was I was collecting information just in case. Uh, again, Gr- Griffin's a delight. He's such a slime ball. But he also just pulls it off with such charisma too. Yeah, like you don't want to like you don't want to like Kai, but it's just like. His personality is just so magnetic. High high charisma, low charm, something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he's he's He 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 feels like a guy who used to be like he used to work for bad tabloid. Mm. And got into and got into bigger waters, but at, the, at his heart he's still working for a bad tabloid. More or less, yeah. yeah. And, Gr- and, and Griffin does a wonderful job with that. I think he's he is very entertaining. Like like you said, you don't necessarily want to like Kai, but you kind of end up do you do or at least like you don't you don't hate him as much as you think you should. Like especially when he encounters, um... oh excuse me, um, like when he encounters May in India and is basically introducing him to, or the. Um, like, I think one of the standouts is when, um, when he introduce basically formally introduces himself to May, and then brings her into the fold of sort of the, uh, like, some of the Shiva outcasts who are trying to, um, undermine whatever it is Tilda Mira is trying to do. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know... I watched that entire show, and I don't actually remember her ambitions very much. I think she just kind of wanted to keep, you know, BB, keep a tight leash on him. Mm-hmm. But I, like, the problem with this show is there are so many moving parts, it is hard to keep track of them all. Mm. Um, but thankfully... Barbara, Barbara Goodson's Barbara Goodson. <laughs> not like, nothing, nothing to complain about there, right? Like she is this absolutely motherly presence when she wants to be, and then absolutely fucking terrifying. Like at the drop of a hat. She she seems she seems so she seems so matronly, but it's also like yeah no she's absolutely gonna close this door on us if we don't get a move on guys like she'll she'll let the dinosaur eat us she's not above that run faster <laughs> like there is just that little bit of extra moral ambiguity to her. Mm. Which makes it kind of a bummer when she's basically stripped of everything at the end of the show. Yeah. Because, I mean, if they are setting up for a second season, um, it would have been great. Just to see her continue to just kind of mess around with things. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get lucky and they'll find a way to keep her around. <laughs> that is true. But, yeah. You make, you make, a, you make a true point regardless. And, and another thing I like is, while Kai is sort of the high-charisma, low-charmish character, um, 
BB just has like no charisma to him whatsoever. No, and, um, and he's just he's just absolutely book smart, but just cannot interact with people to save his life. And he does not care. I don't think. He's just and like, no, he doesn't care whatsoever about that fact. Yep. He's here. He knows what's up. He his haircut is questionable. <laughs> he probably did it himself. Uh, you're probably right now that I think about it. Why would I pay to go to a barber? I have hands. I have a pair of scissors. <laughs> I got a mirror. That's that's twenty dollars I could spend on something else. But to, but you don't have any hobbies outside of your job. I don't see how that's relevant. Um <laughs> uh, Yeah, he he his, his is sort of like general kind of He just he takes everything just very well. It's like, oh, there's a, there's a kaiju claw climbing up this uh, this access tunnel. And he'll, he's, like, gonna run up the stairs. He's also kind of gonna stare and look at it, because, like, wow, look at that. Wow, a red crystal almost punched you straight through the face, and it would have killed me. Wow, look at that. Oh, just, that just, even drew blood. Yeah, just he's, just, he's so, he's so wonderfully blasé about all the weird stuff that is just his life. He just, he, he rolls with it no matter what it is. And you know, so one complaint I have this with this group is basically over Michael Stephen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily James Mathis's performance. Um, it's it's more how the character is sort of written. Um, in the sort of the show, he's just this absolutely intimidating military guy. Mm-hmm. Um, like big boisterous soldier personality and. And just, you know, keeps people in line. And then when May is brought into sort of this, uh, sort of the Shiva splinter group that's trying to get to the supercomputer, um, his personality changes a little too much. Um, if that secret ending with Mechagodzilla wasn't there, um, I thought it would have been a little too abrupt. But then... I kind of realize that, um, like, they are trying to set him up as sort of more of an antagonistic figure if this show gets, like, a second season. Mm-hmm. Like, I think my biggest complaint with this group is more toward their character. They're being set up for something bigger that may never come. Mm-hmm. And just watch. We'll we'll record this, and then tomorrow it'll be like Netflix is, announces season two for Godzilla Singular Point. No, no, the true, the true, the true, the true pain will be it gets announced like thirty minutes after the episode comes out. Oh, like we we drop <laughs> yeah, it on five on some Friday, and the news comes out like at five thirty. Just Won't to, that be how it works? Just to spite us. <laughs> But you know what? We'll get a season two of the show, so I, I can't complain too much about it. Yeah. Be- best worst outcome. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Do you have anything else for them? I think Griffin's very entertaining. I like. I mean, Barb. I I don't think I've ever actually heard a bad Barbara Goodson role. Like she's great. <laughs> 
I mean, <laughs> she's been in a lot of stuff in the 90s that we would probably consider, like, not great by today's dub standards, but, like... It's, it's, it's look, I don't know in actuality if, say, her performance as Rita Repulsa is quote-unquote good, uh, but it's, it's you know, I, I was, I, I saw that when I was, like, five. That imprinted on me at a it's very, very... It's entertaining and memorable, even now. Exactly. It's like, she, she, I, uh, you know, I, I, there's definitely, like, lower quality stuff she's been in where maybe it's not the best performance because, you know, look what she's adapting. Um, but, like, I, I have, I, it's, I'd be very hard for us to say anything bad about Barbara Goodson's acting skills in general. She's delightful. Um, oh, absolutely not. Anyways. Uh, tangent. Uh, Sean Chip. I realize you didn't mention Sean Chipluck by name while you're talking about uh, Barn, but like, you know, we we like him a lot. Like he he, I think he really nails the just sort of like, I'm very into this, and maybe that's a little dangerous, but it's gonna be okay. Maybe. Probably. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, actually, I'm having a little bit of a hard time remembering what uh, James Mathis' performances sound like. I remember, I remember liking it. Like he he got the character like the character type down very well. Uh, I think I just I at least just, I have the relatively least to say about him, anyways, because military guy doing a thing. Yeah. Yep. But he do, he does good work though. Uh, it was good. It was fun. Yeah. These guys were. These guys were fun, kind of villains. They're they're it's very they're very much that thing of like uh, they're antagonist. I'm not you know they're not quite villains, but they are antagonists or antagonistic, or at least up to no good, depending on how right. you want to define it for the purposes of the story. And they they were fun in that regard. I agree. They got they got the good stuff going. All right. Um, so next up, we have. Um, oh, this is going to be a fun group. Uh-huh. Um, we have Shunya Sato and Sunetomo Yamamoto. Um, they're basically two guys who work in a military fa- in a military esque facility. They're just checking to see if an alarm goes off. Like that's basically their job. <laughs> keep an eye on the button and if it and if this thing turns red then you push the button seems like an easy job right right just don't go down in the basement this is this is the setup to an scp story (laughs) it is oh my god look just press the button and don't go in the basement it's very simple what happens if i go in the basement what did i tell you just don't (laughs) period there's Those nothing, are dinosaur bones. There's nothing interesting down there that you would want to look at. But those are dinosaur bones. Yes, yes, we we know that. How'd you get down here? We told you not to. We told you not to. You are so fired. Oh, Among great! And now there are pterodactyls. Way to go! Wait, you couldn't have just pressed the button like we asked you to, could you, kid? Ugh. Way to go, Paul. <laughs> and don't think you can hide... Paul Tebbets, you did it again. And don't think you can hide on this, Bob. We knew you were here, too. Having a nap. Oh, God. Uh, 
We were talking. Dinosaur supervisor. <laughs> oh, I just, I, I, oh, that meme. The guy, the guy credited in Jurassic Park as the dinosaur supervisor. <laughs> Way to go, Paul. There's velociraptors everywhere. You, had a, you literally had one job, Paul. Uh, he apparently hates that meme. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, Guying Li. Um, she is a theoretical physicist who is working on the the theory of the archetypes or what the red dust ultimately is. Which by the way, pulling that back around from the uh from the synopsis of the show, yeah, the red dust is kind of a big thing. It does things to time. <laughs> oh, I I quote love it unquote when things do things to time. Um, she ultimately hires May in order to figure out more about it and ultimately to stop whatever catastrophe is about to happen because of it. Um, and then she ultimately is killed when her group is attacked by a bunch of Rodan. <sighs> Sad. Yep. But then again, you know, the whole thing with the secret ending, who knows? Um, yeah. She's, she's affiliated with Shiva and is... And is basically, um... Yeah. I lost my, my train of thought there. Anyway, um... And then we have, um, Yukie. Um, she's sort of a government agent who... Knows a bit about Shiva's goings-on. Um, ultimately, she doesn't have much of a role to play in whatever this season held. Um, hopefully they give her more next season. Mm. Um, but she she interacts with the main characters enough that I wanted to talk about her. Mm. Um, so, in any case... Because now I'm at the point where I'm saying, I'm a lot... Um, uh, Shunya Sato is played by Billy Comets. Uh, Tsunemoto Yamamoto... Uh, I'm sorry. Tsunetomo Yamamoto is played by Kiyoni Young. Uh, Goyoung Lee by Anyako. And Yukie by Feimata. Um, to which I have to say... Uh, Yamamoto was such a delight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he is such he is such a middle management bureaucrat and I think um, Keone was such an inspired choice because he's not typically an anime actor um, he actually does a lot of live action uh, if you pay attention he he is in I believe the movie for Deadwood. Mm-hmm. And True Blood. He's in a lot of HBO stuff. Um, also does a lot of voice acting, but not... But more on the, the prelay side. Mm-hmm. 
but I, I, I think he was absolutely pleasant here. Um, you would never know he doesn't, or at the very least, um, he's not credited in a lot of ADR. Mm -hmm. Um, but you, you couldn't tell. Uh, no, if, I mean, I'm not, I'm not super familiar with him, but yeah, like I, I, I just assumed like. The, uh, the voice acting world is very large, so a lot of times if I run into a name, I don't recognize a lot of times. Just like, ah, it's just some guy I don't know. Like, I don't think much of it, and so occasionally when you get, like, uh, they don't seem to do a lot of, like, like dubbing-type work, but they are good at it. It is it is often just like, oh, okay. What a, what a pleasant surprise this is. Oof. Yeah. Um, and then also, Billy comments as the poor guy who gets dragged around with him. Womp womp. Like, the both of them ultimately going down to the basement with the Godzilla bones. Mm -hmm. And I think he was the one who gets tasered, right? I believe so, yeah. Like, this guy just gets a lot of shit on him for no reason. It's... He's having a bad time. In general. I mean, the poor guy's just around for the ride. He's just he's just trying to do the job he was hired to do. Wait. And, like... Mm -hmm. The thing with the performance is, like... Billy Cobbins just does a great job of playing the guy. Just too tired... There's a, there's a strong sense of I am not being paid enough to do this. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 just he plays the character really well. Sato's not a super flashy character, but Billy plays him really well. Uh, this feel this feel this is very much the like you know. You could take this performance and put it in like. I guess the live-action version of the show wouldn't really be all that dramatically less cartoony than the animated version, but, you know, it, 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 a real person could get this performance on screen. It'd be like, yeah, this is a believable performance from a real person. I believe this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, I will note, <laughs> having now finished the show, very surprised Mr. Yamamoto is not up to more not good. Honestly, he was... He was at that point where he was really suspicious in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But as you encounter him more and he's just basically like, Oh yeah, I'll take you out to ramen. Mm -hmm. And just kind of like actually being supportive towards Sato. Over everything. Uh, like, it kind of warmed me up to him to the point where I'm thinking, you know, Hey, this guy's probably not going to be all that bad anymore. Mm-hmm. He's just a guy who's been paid for decades to push a button. We, we, we thought his smiliness was a cover for something, but, like, no, he's just that good-natured. Uh, Which, think... by the way, this is probably a good time to bring up the song as well. Ah, the song. Um, which was, from my understanding, written specifically for the show. That, that's That's my understanding as well. I, I, and I, they mm -hmm. and they actually got a um, 
they got a, a singer who can actually sing in Hindi. Well, I, I'll actually, hold on. Let me look at As I was looking at this earlier, and I actually, I don't think it's Hindi, actually. Maybe. Let me see. Uh, it is Sanskrit, actually. Okay, Sanskrit. Uh, but the singer, the singer is the singer, the singer is Indian American, so uh, that is, that that part's correct. I mean, that, to your point, when I heard it initially, it's like, is this a Bollywood song? This absolutely yeah, that was sounds, my thought as well. This absolutely sounds like a Bollywood. Song. I want to. I, I, I actually made a point of looking up to see, like, is this like a pre-existing song they used or something? It sounds like it could be. No, and I want to. I, I want to give a lot of props to the um, to the actual sound team on the on the actual main series, mm-hmm. um, because the this um, the song was recorded by an Indian American singer. Um, now, and they they took this song they they beat the crap out of it and they made it sound like it was from like the 30s i think i think that's what i liked about it is because you listen if you if you find old bollywood songs it's very clear a lot of them it's like i don't think they have master tapes anymore they just have whatever they can pull off of the actual movie and so there's usually a lot of like analog hits on it and they they it definitely had that vibe that's part of the reason i actually wondered like is this a real bollywood song because it it sonically sounds like something from that era and that production style yeah yeah they 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 nailed that at the very least they nailed that feel like this song is old this is not new it is it is from the past and that song also kind of has a bit more of a deeper connection to the show but we'll get to that with a with another group of characters Mm -hmm. Uh... um Oh, before we move on, I did. This is just, this is only funny to me. Me and my girlfriend started watching this. Our initial explanation for uh, Yamamoto's smiliness is like, "Oh, you are Godzilla. You're just hiding <laughs> as a middle manager bureaucrat. <laughs> Go down to the basement. Oh, look, it's my bones. Oh, uh, the Godzilla's bones, not mine. <laughs> I'm just a mid-level bureaucrat. I don't have dinosaur bones." Anyways. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we have fun here sometimes. Um, and and Yako, um, I I actually really like the fact that she plays this with a a sense of sternness, but at the same time, like it feels like she actually wants to bring May up into something that is, you know. Like, presentable within the scientific community. Mm-hmm. Like, the the first initial meeting between um, Gu Young Lee and, and Mei, where she's giving a lecture, and then Mei tries to correct her in the middle of the lecture with what she knows. And then it's like, oh yeah, we already knew that. But you figured this out without any of our notes, so that's really impressive. Yeah, there's 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 kind of a nice sweetness to their relationship. There's a sense that like, like Yu Yang does does want to be like a mentor figure of her to some extent. Like you are you are you are sharp. You do know what you're doing. You're you can be a lot of help in the in to us and the field at large. Like keep on this. 
uh, which which you know def- definitely makes her her death more tragic. Assuming yeah, it, assuming it doesn't end up being a death in quotation marks. Did we see a body? No, like, they no. actually cut away. All right then. Well, you can put a pin in that one for season two. Um, and then Yukie and Faye Mata, un- like she doesn't get a lot to do. Um, her main role is basically to pull strings between a bunch of people. Um, she mainly interacts with with Kai, and their conversations are really interesting. Um, they obviously know each other from past encounters. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely the point where I felt most like the show is trying to set up a season two. Mm-hmm. Because it definitely seems like there is more between relationships between sort of these two groups of characters that we were discussing right now um, than is previously implied. Mm-hmm. Like, Shiva has a lot of roots deep in just about everything. Got its thumbs in plenty of pies. So many pies. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, I, th- I thought I thought, I thought, thought Faye did a nice job with what she was given, but yeah, she, her character definitely feels like she's going to be important later, and we want to set her up now. But the payoff is in the future. Cross your fingers. Right. Um, but I think with what she was given, like, she does a really good job of it. Hmm. No, she she sounds good. All right. Um, mm-hmm. So next up, wow, we are really breezing through this. <laughs> we're the we're the quick crew. <laughs> Two hours or less. That's our motto. Damn, Skippy. Um, we have the Otiki Factory. Um. This is one of my favorite bunch of characters from the show. Um, They're just a bunch of quirky, just handy workers who do odd jobs around town for a living. Oh, yeah, and they happen to have a a moderately sized robot at their disposal named Jet Jaguar. (laughs) They bring him to parties. I was... so as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm watching this with my girlfriend, who is not as versed in Godzilla movies as I am. So I, I got to explain to her that Jet Jaguar is a pre-existing robot who has his own theme song. Oh, it's <laughs> Jet Jaguar is absolutely one of the best parts of the Godzilla franchise. I, I, I definitely saw that movie when I was a kid, and much when I was much older, was shocked to learn that he is not in more movies. Like, I just assumed, like, oh, he must be a recurring character I just haven't seen before. Oh, well. He looks great. And, you know, the funniest thing about it is, like, he seems to be a really popular character nowadays. Mm-hmm. Within sort of the, you know, the Godzilla kaiju sort of franchise. Mm-hmm. But it was just, like, that one movie... People love the robot. That's the... <laughs> like I, I feel I... like it, he was mm-hmm. just sort of this thing that they wanted to uh, 
that they wanted to introduce in the show era to bring in the kids. And it brought in the kids, but then... I don't know what they they wanted to do with them afterward. I, I, think, I think at the time they didn't know what to do with it, and then the kids grew up. They're like, mm. yeah, Jaguar! Like, I... I will bring up one. I will. I will bring up tangentially something that references Jet Jaguar later, and that was very much like, yeah, they saw that movie when they were a kid, and they liked it, and it stuck with them. Or someone pointed uh, out, like the uh, what is it in Evangelion? There's like in one episode, there's like this autonomous robot that might replace the Avas, and it's like, yeah, this is very clearly named after Jet Jaguar. Oh yeah, it's like it's like a mashup of Jet Jaguar's name and like the name it originally had when it was like a design some kid entered in a contest. I think it was like Deep Alone. Yeah, or, or yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, because you know, if folks at home, in case you didn't know, there's a lot of Godzilla in Evangelion. Oh yeah. If you if you if, sincerely if you did not know, there's a lot of Godzilla in Evangelion. Go, and go a on. lot of Ultraman and a lot of Tokusatsu franchises. It's, yeah, do, do, it's do basically it. a love letter to Tokusatsu. Pretty much, do do what I did. Watch, watch like any given episode from like the first half of Evangelion where they fight an angel, and then go watch like the first twenty minutes of um, Destroy All Monsters and just sort of marvel. It's like, wow, he just recreates this in every episode. <laughs> it's just it's the same twenty minutes of the Japanese Defense Force being completely useless. Amazing! How does he do it? Uh, All right. Anyway, anyway yeah, we anyways. got um, we've got Haberu Kikuchi. He's um, Yonarikawa's best friend from basically, for basically ever. Um, he's just this big beefy dude. Um, emits a lot of big himbo energy. Yeah. Um, we've got Satoni. Satomi Kanehara, um, she's another one of the the workers and helpers at the Otaku factory. Um, she does maintenance on Jet Jaguar, um, and she also works with Yun on a lot of his engineering projects. And then we have the man himself, Goro Otaki. <laughs> He's just an old crank. Um, he pilots Jet Jaguar. Did I mention he's an old crank? I'm trying to remember. Do his eyes actually not point in the same direction, or is that just a detail I'm adding because it would make sense if his eyes don't point in the same direction? I want to say that his eyes point in different directions. It feels like they should if they don't, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, everybody in town basically thinks he's crazy. Um, and then the Rodan show up. <laughs> Boy, is he... Boy, does he make a lot of people eat crow. <laughs> but he might also be crazy. <laughs> Just because he's right doesn't mean he's not also crazy. <laughs> um, so, in any case, um, Haberu Kikuchi is played by Howard Wang. Uh, Satomi Kanahara is played by Brittany Cox. And Goro Otaki is played by Keith Silverstein. Um, which, boy howdy, just Keith never, Silverstein as nev- Otaki. Never in a million years. Like, just... I, th- this was one of the rare Netflix stubs where they announced the cast ahead of time. Mm-hmm. 
and I saw the name Keith Silverstein attached to Otiki, and I was just... Um, my jaw dropped. Yeah. And then I actually heard it. Oh, you know what? No. No. Um, so what had happened was, um, Netflix had released a dub clip before they announced the cast. Oh. Um, it basically had Yun and... Oh, I can't remember... I think it was, um, it was Yun, it was his AI Yungu, which we'll get to here in a sec. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Otiki, it's, it's when the Rodan first appear. And it's just like, I knew that was Keith Silverstein. Um, I know he's capable of playing like an old man character. But just hearing that voice come out of that character design, um, it absolutely blew me away. Um, cause it is perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, of the English voices associated with this show, I think Keith Silverstein's Otiki is the most perfect casting of this show. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he does the sort of, like, lower register of an old man, um, like, he even does the sort of, um... The softening of certain consonants to make it seem like he has, like, either missing or false teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he just plays him like an old cranky coot. And it's great! Like, <laughs> Keith plays him as, like, the crankiest guy in existence. He he feels like he should. He feels like he should. Uh, like, what if a prospector also knew how to like build and repair robots, but was still really sunbaked oh from the prospector days? Oh my god! Yeah, he does have that sort of. There's gold up in them dark hills, kind of. <laughs> It's it, it feels it's very it feels like it's very much going from that school of like you know weird old cartoony men. Yes. Um, but he's also surprisingly competent. <laughs> yeah, he's crazy, not stupid. <laughs> like I mean, he's old. He's he's kind of lost a few screws, but at the same time, like he is hyper capable. But then he's also like chanting old battle hymns while he's um, while he's fighting a jet jaguar and he, he constantly is, getting knocked over. He's the sort of guy where if he were like a little wealthier and a little more put together, he could, he would get to be called eccentric. <laughs> uh, but because because he like works for an independent laboratory and builds robots in his spare time, you know, it's like nah, you're just weird. <laughs> you're you're completely correct about everything, but you're weird. And it uh, is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and Keith Keith does a wonderful job with him. He's so funny. <laughs> like it's great. Like <laughs> I just had a big old stupid grin on my face whenever Otiki speaks. He's such a delight. <laughs> oh, isn't 
And then there's some point <coughs> in the middle where they're they're fighting um the what's his name who looks like an ankylosaurus and like the, the he needs to fight him in Jet Jaguar, but he's like falling asleep in the interim while they're trying to get the uh the monster over here. Oh yep. <laughs> Just passes right out. Only and then there's can... also the stuff when Jet Jaguar grabs a harpoon gun. <laughs> oh, what a guy! Ugh. Like, if there's one thing that I would use to sell you on the dub of Godzilla Singular Point, it would be Key Silver Sign Sotiki. Absolutely. Um, but that doesn't mean that. You know, Howard Wang or Brittany Cox, like, slack in any sort of way. No. Um, like I said when I introduced him, um, Howard Wang gives off just big major himbo vibes. Um, which is something I am not used to coming out of Howard Wang performances. Like, back in, back with the Sound Cadence crew, that is Stephen Foo's territory. Yeah, that's what I that's what I was thinking for a moment. It's like, yeah, this would be like, as I've I've seen the City Hunter movie from a couple years ago. You can easily, you know, you want a himbo. Uh, Stephen Fool will give you a great himbo, great great himbo. Howard Wang, unusual choice, not who I not who I would have expected. But no, I, I would. I'm going to be honest with you. If this were like a Texas dub, I would have absolutely expected like, um, oh, what's his name, uh, Jeremy Inman. Oh like, yeah, <laughs> somebody with like. He like looks a big, deep, he looks, he rough looks, voice. He looks like Jeremy's character from Fire Force. Oh, you're right. That's what I'm, tr- I'm I trying to think of. Who he, together. I'm trying to think of who he is. He looks like somebody, and that's who he looks like. He looks a little like Jeremy's character from Fire Force. So yes, you would. You would if there's a Texas W, you'd absolutely cast Jeremy as his character. You're you're completely spot on. Um, but yeah, like. It, it was a little softer than I was expecting, obviously, given that, you know, I just made reference to Jeremy Inman. Mm-hmm. Um, but it fit really well. Um, he plays Kikuchi, like, kind of meaty, but also, like, not entirely stupid. Mm-hmm. He 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 he's a himbo for a guy who can still work at like a fancy robotics company, right? Or at least a company that has and maintains robots. Um, and then I really like Brittany Cox. Um, like she's smart, she's capable, she's also kind of sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I. Like, there's unfortunately not really much to say about her, because she only shows up about halfway in the show, but... Um... Like, I really liked it. Yeah, if I if I, if I I had a complaint, it's that I think I was... I was hoping she'd get to do a little bit more and show up a little more often, because I, I certainly remember when this was getting advertised, plenty of people in my Twitter feed were like, uh, who's the, who's the hot, who's the hot punk kid, punk chick? Are we gonna see right. more of her? Uh, and she and Brittany does good stuff with her while while she's on screen. Like I think she 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 gets the character as being like you know capable, and you know she does respect Otaki, but she also thinks he's a big weirdo. And she's I not mean, gonna as you do as you, she's not gonna let those two things cancel each other out. But she's not gonna lie to your face either. 
Uh, yeah, Brit, Brit, like Brittany's a lot of fun. I hope I hope she shows up more in season two if if when we get that because uh, she's she's clearly having a good time with this character. And I like to see more than that. Mm-hmm. What else? What else do I want to? I don't, he's Silverstein, man. What a guy. Oh yeah. Um. Like I, I'm trying to think of a particular standout with him. Um. Like the whole the whole fight with Angaris mm-hmm. and Jet Jaguar is just like Otaki just basically being the eccentric old coot with the harpoon gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just getting his ass handed to him. Mm-hmm. He's he's trying. And um Oh, I can't remember if it was the fight with the Rodan or the fight with Angiris, but um it ends up leaving him with like a bunch of broken ribs. Mm-hmm. And just him yelling at the uh at the poor hospital tech to let him out. Mm-hmm. Like, that was also just pure comedy gold. Oh. Um, and then also, like, I really like Kikuchi in the, the first episode or two when they're actually, like, digging through the old mansion to find the source of the song. Mm-hmm. And then, um, like, Kanahara's first appearance also kind of stuck out with me. Mm. <laughs> All right, two categories to go. I'm sorry. Yeah, before we gonna... before we move on, I do just want to point out how much I love that um, when Goro when Otaki gets out of the hospital, he just drives up in a fucking Cadillac. Oh yeah. <laughs> And like, and like an old Cadillac from the fifties with fins and shit. Like, <laughs> look, that reminded me of something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very specific guy that Otaki reminds me of. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a joke in my general township area mm-hmm. um, about one of the next towns over where. Um, where we joke that they, um, you know, they live in a trailer, but at the same time, they've got, like, they've got, like, a really, um, like, a Porsche or a Lamborghini in their driveway. Uh-huh. Like, that, like, they're fine living with a trailer, but they chose to, uh, they chose to just blow all their money on their car. Mm-hmm. That definitely feels like Otiki in a nutshell. Yeah. He's, he is definitely that dude. Like, he he's probably an eccentric old coot that lives in a trailer, but then he has, like, the nice convertible. Man can take pride in a nice car. Oh, yeah. I, I only need two rooms to live. Why spend more money than that? And, like, no shame, but it's just, yeah. like, yeah. It's, it's, it's a funny sight. Right. Um, so next up... We have, um, basically our two AI programs. Um, we have Yungu, who was 
developed by Yun. Um, through the course of the show, it basically does calculations about um, the Rodan. And then it's eventually loaded up into Jet Jaguar and becomes its main AI and brain. Uh, so it no longer requires a pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, basically not much else to it other than that. Um, other than a strange signal toward the end of the show basically infantilizes it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that when we actually talk about the performance. Mm-hmm. Um, cause the main, the main one we'll be talking about here is Pelops 2. Um, Pelops 2 was sent to Mei by Yun. Um, and basically serves as her personal assistant and analyst of a bunch of data that she's collected on the, uh, on the red dust and archetypes. Um, and as sort of, as sort of a bullshit thing toward the end, um, In one of the first um, text message encounters between uh, Yun and Mei, after Mei had received Pelops 2, um, he jokes around about a program to make Jet Jaguar invincible. Mm-hmm. And Pelops 2 is just like, yeah, I'll look into it. <laughs> and then everybody basically forgets about it. And at the end of the show... In the last episode, Pelops 2 is basically trying to do a bunch of research um, to figure out the archetypes and then send uh, information to Yun uh, that would be able to stop Godzilla, who has basically shown up in Tokyo and is just, like, absolutely wrecking the place. Um, But in order to do that, Pelops 2 has to go to the past because... It has basically run out of time in the present. So he's just it's just like, you know, hey, this supercomputer is con- able to connect to other supercomputers throughout time. So I'm just gonna go back in time and I'll I'll do the calculations I have to do and then send out the signal. Guess what that signal ends up being? Don't leave us hanging. Remember the song that whenever the, you know, whenever Yamamoto and and Sato hear the alarm goes off, they have to push the button. That's what that <laughs> is. It's also the program to make Jack Jaguar invincible. Um, Pelpsu basically goes to the past and sends the signal out whenever it can, uh, and then. That signal combines with Jet Jaguar and the, um, and sort of the MacGuffin. God, I can't remember what it's called. Like, it has a really complicated name. I'm, I'm pulling it up. Take your time. The Orthogonal Diagonalizer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, wait, hold on. Uh, that that made me whenever that came up that always made me laugh because all I could ever think of was the uh, Thagomizer the do you know the Thagomizer? Um, I feel like if you told me, I would recognize it. 
The Thagamize area is from a uh, Farsight cartoon where they claim that's the name of the pointy bits on the end of a Stegosaurus tail. And this later became the official scientific term for the pointy bits on the end of a Stegosaurus tail because <laughs> uh, paleontologists are the exact kind of nerds who read the far side and find that sort of stuff funny. <laughs> oh my god, I had never heard that before. It's named after... Hold on. Uh, it's named it's named after uh, the late Thag Simmons. <laughs> oh, that is absolutely brilliant, and I am not surprised that paleontologists are the kind of people who would <laughs> who are, who would read a Far Side comic about a Stegosaurus and just like, you know what? Fuck it. There we go. It's like, Dave, Dave, I have terrible news. What? Read this. Now we have to call it this. Damn. <laughs> Uh, it's oh, gonna take it's gonna take beautiful. forever to get the board to approve this, but we have no choice. Um, anyway, the um, the signal mixes with the orthogonal diagonalizer, which is sort of a a I I can't even remember what it is. I think it's like super concentrated archetypes. I guess um, it can do a lot of shit, mm-hmm. but it does. It doesn't have the code necessary to do it, which ends up being the song, and it, it's a lot of time travel kind of weirdness. Yeah, per- timey wimey per- bullshit. Yeah, per- apparently out, it, outside of this, an orthogonal diagonal orthogonal diagonization is something you do in linear algebra, which I don't even remotely understand because I was only ever kind of okay at algebra, uh, but it's complicated math. So that checks out. That definitely checks out. <laughs> is this is if this gets more seasons, will this be that thing where math math people start complaining about how their Google searches have been ruined because of anime? <laughs> Are they gonna join the I historians? Hope so. I hope this ends up becoming the fate of Histor- theoretical his- mathematic physics. Historians have fate. Geologists have Steven Universe. Will mathematicians have Godzilla singular point? We can only hope. Um, but in any case, um, Yungu, a.k.a. Jet Jaguar, is played by Kara Buckland, and Pelops 2 by Cassandra Lee Morris. Um, to which, like, it, it's really interesting, like, watching the show and seeing the progression of these two kind of baseline AI Mm-hmm. Um, cause um, Yungu is basically like this dull monotone, and then um, when it's loaded into Jet Jaguar, it starts to gain a personality. And then the weird thing that happens toward the end of the show that sort of shuts down Jet Jaguar and resets it, um kind of infantilizes the AI to the point where it acts like a two-year-old. Mm. Um, and, like, Kira Buckland actually does a really good job with each of these three phases of it. Um, which, by the way, I also found out... Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll actually get to that after I'm done with um, Cassandra Morris. But did you have any thoughts on uh, Jet Jaguar? 
like I like Kira when she's driving around in Jet Jaguar because it is extremely Tachkoma. Mm. And I'm I'm always in f- and the Tachkomas are probably some of my favorite robots in fiction because of like how they're written and their their curiosity and their and their childlike wonder at the world and th- that that I got strong vibes of that partially because you know J- Jaguar is also kind of a squat rotund robot who runs around and fights things, um, but I like I liked that in particular. I thought Kira, like I thought Kira, I, I agree. Kira does a very good job doing the three versions of Yungu, and I think making them sound distinct enough that they they feel like kind of different facets of the character, but still feeling like yes, this is the same character at kind of different stages in their development. Um, but her her running around in Jet Jaguar's body is definitely the most fun for that reason. It, it feels very much like I get to do stuff now. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. She. Yeah. She. She. She is a lot of fun. And if, I don't. I guess if they need, if I don't know, she's quite high pitched enough to be a touch coma. But she. She feels like she could play one of those in the future if she wanted to. I. I. I enjoyed that a lot. Oh my god! I would absolutely love that. Good times. Right, right, right geographic location, like... Huh. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's a lot of fun. I like, I like, I like that Jet Jaguar did not stay just, like, a robot. Like, it, it gained, like, a personality. Yes. Uh, and I, 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 I thought, I thought Kira did that very well. Like, one thing I really liked was, um, the scene where Jet Jaguar is forced to interact with a bunch of kids... <laughs> um, and then basically learns to to play some sort of game. I I can't remember if it was like rock paper scissors, but it was a basic children's game. Um, and then she uh, Jet Jaguar basically absolutely decimates these kids <laughs> in that game, um, and then tries to kind of parse out the idea of play. Mm-hmm. Um, that ends up being kind of important when uh, its personality is basically reset. Because mm. that's one of the things it's basically able to use to more or less regain its senses. Mm. Um, and then, um, like, obviously, in this category, Cassandra Morris is sort of the um, the driving point of like a lot of the show um i like the fact that it has a personality that really strongly contrasts jet jaguar mm-hmm. um whereas jet uh Yungu, i should probably just call it um is more of a um it's not quite monotonous, but it, it it's trying to figure out things to develop a personality. Um, and on the other hand, Pelops is just sort of this bright, energetic, um, absolutely playful entity. Uh, which also, now that I'm finally coming around to bring, bring up Pelops, um, like, a fun little anecdote I have about watching this show is... Um, there are so occasionally in a couple of episodes um a a cold sizzle open mm-hmm. with a bunch of like child characters talking mm-hmm. um 
at first while I was watching this, I thought it was sort of the um, the little fairies that accompany Mothra. Oh, we wish. Um, which, there ended up being a reference to Mothra in the show. Just not... Not one as overt as, like, a giant moth coming into the city. Um... <laughs> Well, yeah. No, I just I had this I had this image of like a fake version of one of those stupid like uh, clickbaity YouTube videos that's like you know did you miss this and it's like a screenshot of Mothra in the anime with like a big circle drawn around this like enormous <laughs> building sized moth. Did you oh. miss? Did you did you catch it? It's like <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. Oh. Um. Yeah, at first I thought it was the, um, yeah, um, I thought it was, like, the little fairies that usually in, um, in media involving Mothra are basically its guardians. Um, I, I can't remember, like, the proper name for it, but anyway, um, uh, it turns out it's, um, it's Yungu and Pelops, because in the finale, the two of them merge into Jet Jaguar's body and basically make it grow super big. Because time, I guess. Mm -hmm. And and other dimensions and stuff. Timey-wimey. I'll do it yesterday. Tomorrow. That sort of Today. thing. Today. Today. <laughs> um... Yeah, I I really like Pelops. Mm. No, I am. Um... It occurred to it occurred to me while I was recording this. I was trying to I was trying to think. Have I heard Cassandra Morris in a role where she does not play a mascot type character? Because I feel like I have. But if you ask me, like, what are the Cassandra Lee Morris roles you like? It's all like, uh, Cubay. Morgana from Persona Five. Like I feel like I feel like this is certain. Like, do you have sort of a cute round thing that needs voicing? Cassandra Lee Morris is your person. Isn't she also the kid in My Hero Academia? I think she, she might be. I'm very behind on My Hero, so I'm not sure. But like, I believe that. That sounds right. Well, I mean, it's like season three. I think the the little boy with the with the hat with the horns. Yeah, the little Hellboy looking kid. I think you're right. I'm not sure. Um, but consequently, Cassandra Lee Morris is great here. Uh, I think she is such a delight as Pelops. Uh, she is so, just so, like, peppy. And I like a lot of Pelops' animation. I like how that character is just sort of drawn to do stuff. And I, I will admit, I did really like the part in the last couple episodes where, like, the, the, like, the thing it needs to fix is, like, a literal boat. Oh, yeah. And, like, literally, like, patching up the side. And it's like, oh, well, wait, I'll have more time to do calculations if I go back in time. And literally just turns the boat around and starts going <laughs> back up the wormhole. And it's like, this is really charming. <laughs> it could be really dumb, but it's really charming. Yes. Uh, and I, 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 Cassandra, like, play, I feel like, not this character type, because, you know, even between, like, this and Cube Morgana, that's a lot of territory in there. Um, but I feel like she's very good at playing these characters that are, you know, they're usually drawn to be kind of like, you know, cute, energetic, 
and mascotty looking in some capacity and i think she is always very good at bringing that out in addition to whatever the specifics of the actual character are uh, which in this case you know is math and uh explaining things that are like <laughs> again i'll have more time to do calculations if i get further away from the future yeah that'll work <laughs> but i'll end up in a weird time pocket with an old dude with a beard <laughs> Yeah. Um, um. Also, um, like, obviously, it, it may change by the time uh, this episode actually comes out, but mm -hmm. at the moment, my avatar is currently the, the thing with Pelops in the opening credit sequence with the drums. Mm -hmm. Like, so I absolutely agree with you that, the, like, Pelops is animated really well. Mm-hmm. Alright, so I guess with that, we'll move on to our last group of characters. Um, uh, May Kamino is fresh out of college. And ends up getting mixed up in the crisis with the Rodan. Oops. Uh, basically trying to figure out the source of a weird signal that ends up being the song that connects everything together. Um, ultimately, sort of has a run-in with our, the other character we're talking about in this segment, Yona Arakawa, um, who's an engineer of the Otaki factory and um, one of the lead technicians of Jet Jaguar. Um... They sort of swap text messages between each other to kind of f figure out the mystery of not just the Rodan, but of the archetypes and of the theories of time travel that that are sort of being floated around in alternate dimensions and singular points and, like, how to get supercomputers from various times and universes to connect to each other. And then those messages somehow mysteriously get recombined and recompiled into something that can figure out the mystery of how to stop Godzilla. Which, I find it funny that this is sort of an episode about a show of Godzilla, and we've only mentioned Godzilla a handful of times. It, it is... It's very. I, I, I. The more we got into it, the more I noticed it's like, Godzilla's not going to show up until like the last three episodes or something, isn't he? Yeah. Which uh, he kind of shows up about halfway through as like a giant fish. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the, the big dinosaur bones. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, this is kind of a Godzilla entry in, a, in the traditional sense in that, like, your main monster dude doesn't really show up all that much until toward the end. Yeah. Like, this is basically by design. Mm hmm. Um. Anyway, May travels around the world and basically compiles all this information in order to stop Godzilla once and for all and put an end to the, the disaster that the archetype and the singular points are going to do if they're not properly contained. And is ultimately 
you know, while Yun is basically kind of thrust by the show as the main protagonist, just by what he has to do, um, May is kind of the unsung one. Um, and in and in that respect, um, May Kamino is played by Erica Harlicker, and Yun Arakawa by Johnny Young Bosch. <coughs> Which I've got to say, um, while I'm kind of t- used to sort of traditional Erica Harlicker performances, and this kind of felt like one, mm-hmm. where just where she's just kind of. An energetic girl who is more capable than she lets on at first. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, I really like. But as a as an aside, mm-hmm. well, not really as an aside, but you know what I mean. Um, it's 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 an observation, not a complaint. Right. Um, I gotta say though, Johnny Young Bosch as sort of. The calm, cool, and collected type, um, it doesn't happen as much as I'd like it to, um, and this sort of is one of those things that prove it, um, because he's really good at it. Mm. Like, you would probably know Johnny Young Bosch is like, um, ooh, what, um... I mean, obviously, is like um, he does super energetic characters like Chomp Chomp Bacon in <laughs> Pop Team Epic. <laughs> I'm Chomp Chomp Bacon, and I just love to eat bacon. And I, I feel like that's what people are more familiar with in terms of Johnny Young Bosch roles. But this is like, this is great. Mm-hmm. And Erica Harlicker, like, this is more familiar territory for her, but, like, she's peppy, she's energetic, and sort of with a lot of the other characters, um, she is able to convey very complex scientific and mathematical stuff without sounding like she's tripping over herself. Mm. Which is, which for everybody involved with this show has been something that is one of the high points of it. But for her, um, she's the one who's really got to do this stuff and, like, recite the complicated words and the and the actual, like, theories and whatnot. And, like, she does it really well. Yeah, no, this... Again, this is... this is She, she has to deal with a lot of the dialogue that can be very easy to trip over just because there's a lot of it and it's complicated <laughs> and again i don't know enough about high level math to know how much any of this is rooted in like actual math and science and how much kind of made up uh but it all sounds real which makes it worse because uh, you know if you mess up if you mess up pseudoscience whatever if you mess up weird science it sounds awkward uh but she does a really good job she's she's very how do i put this i, I like that she she captures like may's like curiosity and intelligence really well yeah, going back to earlier like i really liked a lot of the scenes with her and um Anne as uh uh gu ying lee just because there's very much a sense of like uh you know 
yeah, like a meeting like a meeting like a sort of a meeting of minds and one one person being like you know yeah you know you're you're very you know you're on top of this you know what you're doing the fact that you're able to figure all this out by yourself in the time you did is in of itself impressive and a sign of like no you you have the chops for this um, I also like that I think Erica just played did a good job playing May as a character who is very smart but also uh, like forgot that like wait I can't lock my keys in my luggage because I need my keys to lock my luggage so I've in fact been worrying about unlocked luggage this entire time <laughs> I'm an idiot uh, and have a, and have that also come off as like a comedic moment and not just like you know, oh, she's dumb. It's just like, no, she just, you know, she, she's smart. She's but just she awkward. Makes, yeah, she, she makes, she, we all make silly mistakes sometimes. <laughs> even, even when we have, even when we understand PhD level mathematics. It's, it's very nice. Like, honestly, the smarter you are, the more capable you are of just doing, like, low-key dumb things. Hmm. Like, you're so busy trying to sort of, um... You're so busy with the with these mathematical equations, you kind of forget breakfast. Kind of. <laughs> when did you eat? I don't know. Hmm. Maybe that's when I've been feeling so weak all day. Hmm. Uh. Yeah, she's. I liked her a lot. And I'm full agree with you on Johnny. Like, I Johnny's a very talented actor, and I feel like. Despite that, he tends to get stuck in, you know... I mean, there, there was a whole period there where it was kind of like, we need a shonen protagonist. Can we get Johnny Young Bosch? Right. If yes, great. If no, well, next time. Uh, and I think I think he's, he's managed... He's not stuck in quite that rigid a space anymore, but I still think there's very much, like, an idea of people's minds of, like, this is a Johnny Young Bosch role. Uh... And I think he's really good here, to the point where initially I did not recognize who it was. I was like, who? This person sounds familiar. Who is this? And when I looked it up, it was like, oh, well, now I can hear it, but I wouldn't have guessed that initially. Like, it's it feels very atypical for him, but, you know, it's, he's, like, again, he's really good. He has to deal with a lot of math, and I think he does a good job of making Yun sound a little... Uh, kind of... Like, it's not like he doesn't have any affect or he's disinterested. It's just he's very much like... It's like his brain spending so much time dealing with, like, science that it doesn't have time for, like, anything else. So it's just like, yeah, we gotta figure out what the hell's going on. This is weird. Yeah. Maybe I'll ask the AI developed how this is going. Get something out of it. Um, like, there's a, he does a good job of making Yun come across as, like, really smart... And maybe not like not like super personable, but not quite as much as like Oteki is. Just like he's just kind of a little soft spoken and very focused on the thing that he's into, right? Um, but still having like a lot of like kind of personality behind him. I like he does a really good job here. I wish, like, I agree. I wish, I wish Johnny kind of got to do a wider range of roles because he clearly has the chops for it. And I feel like that's just even, like, even now, like, I think he's just he's not cast in quite the range of things I think we, he could be cast in. Yeah, which which seems odd to say for something about a guy who's been acting as long as he has. Like, you feel like you feel like people would be chomping at the bit more to put him in stuff. Hmm. Yeah, because he's been. He's been active and and you know the the acting scene for 
nearly 30 years, if not 30 years. Pretty much. Um, though I guess it's my understanding that he also does um, fight coordination as well. Uh, I actually, I actually remember like um, almost like a month ago, some people were like posting clips of like a like indie action movie he'd been in. I think kind of like the early 2000s. Uh, and it's like, there's an Ultimate Universe for Johnny Bosch. like, the, the whole, like, voice acting thing never came off, and he has, like, he has, like, the same kind of career that somebody like Scott Atkinson has, where, like, he does, he doesn't have to do super high-profile stuff, a lot of it's probably straight to video, but anyone who gives a shit about action movies worships him, like, that kind right. of dude. Like, he absolutely could have had that career if he wanted to, it seems like. But it's also kind of at that point where he's kind of doing both, and that's really great for him. I, I'm, I'm all for Johnny and Bosch getting more work. Like, kudos to him. He's great. Oh, yeah. Up to it, including, it's like, uh, hi, Mr. Mr. Bosch. We make a uh, Power Rangers game. We're, uh, we're putting, we're going we're gonna to try and put one of your characters in here. Would you mind voicing him? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. Sounds fun. Oh my god, that was badass when I when I heard about that. Uh, he's great. He's returning to play his own. <laughs> I I appreciate mm. it. I appreciate it when actors have acting origin stories that are maybe a little dorky, and when presented with, it's that Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't have to be in Halloween movies, but god damn it, she's going to be in them because she likes doing it. She wants to be in it. Who are she we to stop to be... her? <laughs> How are we going to stop her? I wouldn't say no to Jamie Lee Curtis. It seems like a bad idea. She'd just be very disappointed. Anyways, um, my point my point was that Johnny's really good in this role, and I thought he did a great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, it's... Uh, I mean, I, my, my next comment is actually more of a final thoughts thing. So you 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 continue, and I'll I'll get to that then. Oh, um, if you're if you got something together for final thoughts, why don't we uh, why don't we just move on? Sure. Like this is just like a really this is one of these dubs that I almost find a little hard to talk about because it's not a like flashy flashy acting kind of dub, but it's just really strong and consistent across the board. Like everyone's really well cast. I feel like everyone's really well directed. I feel like the script is very strong. I feel like a lot of care and attention was put into the stuff that might be easier to flub up on. And, like, you know, the attention was put in so that that wouldn't happen. Like, it's like this is very much like this. This is the dub I would want for this show. Like, it feels very appropriate. It's the right level of funny. It's the right level of serious. It is the right level of heady math I don't understand. Uh, like, it just, it just, it's good, it's a good dub across the board. Like, any, 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 like, relative complaints I have about her are more in the function of, like, I wish Brittany were in it more, but her character's not in it as much as I'd like it anyways, so, you know, not a lot of option they had there, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, honestly, that pretty much echoes my sentiments on the dub, um, the show itself is a little hard for me to recommend. Um, I mean, obviously, it's the both of our brand of bullshit. Oh, yeah. Um, but it is very heady, and it's very complicated. Um, this isn't something like Shin Godzilla, where I'm just, you know... Even if you're not into the 
the giant monster aspect of Shin Godzilla. There's more there for you. Um, this one's a little more complicated. Um, there isn't quite as much, like, monster mash as, like, a traditional kaiju film. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, the, um, the sort of heady, almost but not quite info dumpy nature of the, uh, of the explanation of the science behind the show might be a little too much. Um, but if you're big on, like, the sort of, like we said, the... Between 1969 and 1975 kind of brand of sci-fi. Like, this is absolutely up your alley. Like, if... If you want something that can at least pretend to sort of support the, the science that it's trying to present to you... Like, this is, this is absolutely going to be a good time. Mm. Um, and there is enough of a... Of, like... While there's not a lot of Godzilla, there's enough monster fights in it that you'll probably get something out of it at least. Yeah, so, mm -hmm. honestly, in my opinion, I would give it probably, I would say probably give it like three episodes, see if it's your thing. Because um, at that point, you're, I want to say you get through like one or two monster fights and it'll, it'll basically show you where the show is going. So if it's not your thing, then, like, absolutely, by all means, check out some other stuff. Um, but if hard sci-fi is your thing, like, I can't think of too much better out there in terms of, like, 13-episode shows with, you know, a theme of monsters and, and time travel and alternate dimensions and... But then again, there's also not a lot there, so <laughs> it's 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 a, it's an interesting mix. <laughs> but it, it it kind of feels like it's drawing more on well, it's drawing obviously it's drawing on other Godzilla things, but it also feels like it's drawing both on like really hard sci-fi stuff on the one hand, and then like like pre-Godzilla giant monster movies, like kind of stuff like you know Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, where there's a giant monster, but it's mu it's much more in that. Godzilla 54 vein of like we the people have to deal figure out how to deal with this giant monster that we don't know how to deal with right uh yeah like it's I gotta I gotta I got a real like I was thinking about, I was thinking about like the Jag Jack the Jag Jaguar um what the fuck's his name the Ankylosaurus one who I sh whose name I should be able to remember at this point and Gyrus uh, I think and Gyrus thank you like it, it, it reminded me of something I would see in like uh, like the Willis O'Brien like Lost World movie or like them like the giant ant movie from the fifties or something like that yeah uh, like it felt it felt very much in the vein of like this is like the really fancy version of one of those movies uh, which you know I, that's also my brand of bullshit so I'm happy but you know oh yeah yeah I I I think three episodes seems reasonable because I think this is a little more niche than say Shin Godzilla. Uh, or even like any of the legendary movies that have come out recently. So I feel like give it, th give it two or three episodes. If you're into it, keep watching. If not, like it's probably just not going to grab you and that's fine. Yeah. Um, but if you would like to check out Godzilla singular point, um, it is available exclusively via Netflix, uh, sub and dub. 
Um, I want to say it's like 13 bucks a month, um, but odds are good you either have one, have an account, either you're paying for it, some sort of thing you're paying for is giving it to you, or you just got the password off of somebody. <laughs> like, let's be real. Let's not kid ourselves. Like, they know it, you know it. There's no shame in it. Um, and if you would like to follow anything we're doing, um, we are the Dub Talk Podcast. Um, you are probably either watching this via our YouTube, um, youtube.com slash podcast, or you're listening to it via one of our audio channels, either via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Uh, same deal, website slash Podcast. Um, we also have a Twitter account where we basically tell you all the things we're up to. And, um, oh, what else do we have? Um, Tumblr is dead. Uh, do I mean, obviously we now have our Twitch stream basically up and going almost daily mm-hmm. at this point. Pretty much. Um, I don't know what we're going to be playing by the time this episode comes out. Um, I, I just finished my Katamari Damacy stream. I will be playing something? I The game I'm playing now we're probably going to finish next week, which this episode is not going to be out in time for. I might play something more long form next. I don't know. Uh, oh, oh, right... Uh, I don't know if I'll be playing this then, but I might. I'll probably be playing Psychonauts at some point in the future to replay, so I can play Psychonauts too. Oh, nice! A game that I still can't believe is real, kind of. Uh, so I might be still playing that by the time this comes out. You should watch. We I stream on Tuesdays, usually around eight p.m. When do you, when do you stream, Patrick? Um, I try to stream um, Saturdays at about five ish. Yeah. Uh- um, so, oh, sorry. No, so I was going to say, watch us then and follow our social media pages to find out what actually we're streaming that given week. Yeah, and uh, um, at the moment, like, as of recording, um, Jackson has a stream, Megan has a stream, um, obviously Amon and I have streams. Um, Steph and Andrew have their, have a joint stream, um, and Jet is also there. Mm-hmm. Um, like, as of right now, he swaps between his stream and Steph and Andrew's on Thursday, but things could be... Not, nothing, yeah. nothing is, nothing is set in stone. All of us have very varying work schedules. Right. That could change at a moment's notice. Um, and with that, we're, we also do, um, like, honestly, we have a, a, a Ko-fi page and a Patreon. If you'd like to contribute, um, we would definitely appreciate the patronage. Um, and every week we go through and we read the, the as of recording list of patrons um, at the $5 tier, we have Megan's Mom and Dad, uh, Michelle Travis, 
Miraculous Corazon. Nico Robin, but with yowie hands. Um, Sue Tweety. Victor Mybaroda. And at the $10 tier, we have Carly Lessacow. Crimson Echidna. Jacob Wilson. Jared Hawkins. Julia W. Marissa Lenti. Millicent Sowerby. And Otaku Anthony. Um, well, thank you guys. We absolutely appreciate the fact that you are contributing to our podcast. Um, we are about to open up a... For the $10 tier and up, we usually auction off an episode for a quarter. So every three months, we'll we'll open up a raffle... You get to name a show, and then we'll do an episode on that show. And it's um, a, we're it's a it's a fun time. Please save us from <laughs> uh, free free save us from Josh's uh, terrible troll picks. Oh my god! Which which we, which we haven't done too many of, but he keeps throwing them in there. And the more people who sign up, the less likely we are to have to do them. Not that I've done any of these, of course, but you know. Just oh my god, Josh's picks are like Russian roulette. Please save us. And of course we say that, and then he's going to pick a really nasty troll one. We'll have to do it. <laughs> uh, That's karma. Yep. yep. We're tempting, tempting, tempting fate right here. Um. Uh. So I'm on. Um, where can we find you on the wide world of the internets? Uh, generally, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I talk a lot about uh, video games and anime and movies and uh, grousing about people who annoy me. Because what else? What, what else do you do on Twitter? Really, come on. More or less, um, yeah. But especially, I like talking about music, and I have a dusty old song for this episode. Yes. Because uh, obviously for, for our last Godzilla episode, Shin Godzilla, I did the Bloister Cult song to get the obvious one out of the way. So now we have to go into more uh, slight, not esoteric per se, but, you know, maybe a little more off the beaten path if you're not into certain things. For example, uh, I'm not going to be talking about them this episode per se, but uh, Patrick, did you know that there is a rap super group made up of uh, people who name themselves after Godzilla monsters? No, go on. Uh, they're called Monster Island Czars. Uh, unfortunately, they only ever they only got a chance to put out one album, uh, which is very unfortunate. But uh, that is of quality, from my understanding. But I'm not going to talk about that today because I'm kind of I'm going to talk about a semi spin off album that one of their members, who went under the name uh, King Ghidra, put out. Uh, and you might be familiar with King Ghidra because he goes by many names. He goes by King Ghidra. He also goes by Metal Fingers. He also goes by Daniel Dumoulin. And he also goes by MF Doom. No fucking way. Absolutely. It is called Take Me to Your Leader. It is... One, it's great because it's a Doom album. Uh, they're all... Like, they're MF all, Doom, and, man. They're all good. Does MF, did MF Doom make bad albums? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, two, it actually features the original founder of uh, Monster Island Czar's MF Grimm, who unfortunately is not on that album because he was in jail at the time. Which is unfortunate because he actually raps when he's in that group. He raps under the name Jet Jaguar, but he is on "Take Me to Your Leader," so that's great. Mm. Uh, also, the album is produced by MF Doom, and I think there's an aspect of MF Doom's music that gets overlooked. It's that he was a really fucking good producer. 
Like yes. he, he 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 knows his shit so well, and I feel like that aspect does not get talked about nearly. You know, he is a fantastic rapper. That's not a question. But like, he was a really good producer as well. Uh, and if I'm gonna if I'm gonna pick an arbitrary highlight, I'm going to pick the song "Antimatter," uh, which I'm picking in part because it features it is another rapper on it named Mr. Fantastic, who is the maybe the only person in Doom's sphere who is more mysterious than Doom. No one knows who this man is, and his only other feature is on the song Rap Snitch Knishes on Mm Food. Which sucks, because he sounds great on both of those songs. I really wish we even knew who this guy was, just could be like, hey, you're really good. Thanks. Mm. Um, so, uh, Antimatter's a good starting point, but that whole album is great front to back. I highly recommend it. Alright, um... So I am Roots of, I'm Patrick, a.k.a. Roots of Justice. Um, you can find me on the wide world internets, and in particular Twitter, at Roots of Justice. Uh, mainly retweet cute animal pics. Um, talk general fandom. Good time. You should come give me a follow. Um, I'm working on blog stuff. I know. Um, and I kind of want to riff on your dusty old song with... Um, Patrick's cool... Th- I'm gonna call it Patrick's cool thing of the day. Mm-hmm. Do tell. Um, where I'm just gonna name off something that, as of right now, I'm following and I really like. Um, and this is actually something you turned me on to. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, this is also gonna be stuff that's not... It may, at times, be tangentially related to the show I'm talking about, but... Most of the time, it's not. Um, anyway, this is something Amon turned me on to. It's, um, it's a YouTube channel. Um, it goes by the title um, Secret Base. And in particular, um, it, it's, a, it's a YouTube channel that basically does documentaries about sports. Um, which is a thing I really haven't followed too closely, but like... There's stuff that I really like about sports. Um, so, they have a docuseries called Dorktown. Um, and in particular, um, th- there have been two that I'm particularly following. Um, one of them is a, a big docuseries on the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I'm in the middle of it, so I can't necessarily recommend it yet. Um, but the other one I absolutely do, and that is the history of the Seattle Mariners. Um, that 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 started coming out like the middle of the pandemic last year, and I cannot express what a lifeline that was during that miserable, awful twelve months. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. It is also it's great because the history of the Seattle Mariners might it might be the most shown in sports anime thing I've ever seen, despite being about real people. It's great. Oh yeah, um, like the series does a really great job of basically painting several of the of the members of the '90s and early 2000s Mariners as sort of the protagonists of this long story. Um, for reference, in the 90s and early 2000s, they basically made a couple of World Series and just got absolutely smoked. Um, either the first or second round of the um, 
of the American League side of it. Um, but that doesn't matter. Like, as, as the two hosts say, who the fuck cares? Um, this is basically a story of a bunch of people who just kind of joined a foot, uh, a baseball team for, like, reasons of their own. And basically did great things with a team that just couldn't get the gas quite right. Um, it is just absolutely beautiful. It's a it's a six part series. It's like three hours long. It, it's basically an afternoon. Um, I do highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll second the recommendation. It's great. All right. I, well. I, oh, mm-hmm. sorry. Go ahead. No, I was I was uh oh. Fun, fun fact for the day about Take Me to Your Leader. Uh, it not only features many samples from, obviously, Godzilla movies that fe- feature, feature King Ghidorah, it also heavily samples the dub from Fist of the North Star. Nice! Like, a bu- like a bunch of the back half of the album just includes, like, just various clips from episodes. And once you spot them, you'll, really, you'll be able to tell them, and it's just like... Man. <laughs> I'm gonna miss that guy for the rest of my life. Oh my god. May he rest in peace. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, with that, I I think this episode's a wrap. I believe it is. Um, this was a really great, really fun time. Uh, thank you, Amon, for joining me on this. I, lo- I love talking about Godzilla. <laughs> it's one of my faves. Join, join us next time when we cover the uh, Texarkana dub of that one camera movie. <laughs> Oh my god. If there were, like, an actual cast list for Lake Texarkana, I would absolutely do it. You know what? I bought that fucking arrow box set. I should go make sure they don't have a cast list attached to that. I bought that arrow box set, too. <laughs> we are such marks. <laughs> Thank you, Arrow. They know how to get us. It's true. Oh, well. Um, thank you for joining us this evening. Um... Like, have a good rest of your night, guys. Please do. Like, thank you for joining us for for geeking out for, like, two hours over, like, over a long-form Godzilla series. Who would have thought, right? Usually usually when Godzilla gets on TV, it's either American-made or, like, weird shorts. Yeah. I'm happy this exists. Um, so from us at Dub Talk to you, I'd like to wish you guys a great evening and um, otaku on the dubba. Rock over Boston, rock on Chicago. And...